0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I begin today by by wondering out loud, have you ever been overjoyed at a birth? And I I would say that the odds of that are pretty high, right? Like um, most of us have had a niece or a nephew or a son or a daughter or a grandson or a great-grandson or granddaughter, great-granddaughter, We've all, I'd say the number's in the 90 percentile, probably pretty high even at that, of people who have anticipated and and had great joy at a birth. Um, You know, the first birth I really remember getting excited about, I was in my teens. My older sister, she's my senior by about four years, she was expecting their first child. It was a boy, and I was going to be an uncle. I couldn't wait to be an uncle and um, Patrick was born, and what a great kid he is, and, and I just remember how joyful our whole house was when Patrick was born. So we've all had that, right? We, we, we know what it is to be excited about a baby that's on the way and, and who shows up into our life. Uh, I want to begin today by reading from Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible, just turn there. That's where we're going to spend our time today, Luke chapter 1. I'll jump into chapter 3 for just a verse or two, but Almost all of it is Luke chapter 1 today. I'm going to begin at verse 57, and it says this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, her neighbors and relatives, and so you have to understand this is a village event. Everybody's turning out for this, right? Everybody's anticipated, everybody's looking forward to this baby that's going to be born. Verse 58, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. The whole place was jumping, everybody's filled with joy, the whole village. And you ask yourself, why? Why are they so excited about this baby and why would they consider this birth of this baby great mercy? That's the word, that, the two words that get used. In fact, if you have a pen and you got your Bible open, I would circle those two words, great mercy. That's what this baby's called. And the answer is to the why question there is because of the parents, it's really because of the age of the parents. I mean, these, these parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they are not a couple of 20-somethings, all right? They're not even a couple of 30-somethings. They are, they, they are well beyond, we don't really know how old they were, but they're well beyond the, the stage where they would have been expecting kids. That, that's, that's passed them by. They've had to live this disappointing life of, of not having had kids and people looking down their nose at them and, and looking at them, kind of, you know, with a weary eye because we, they don't know what you've done or what you've done to disappoint God or, or why God's not happy with you to give you kids because that was the thing. You, you, if you were blessed by God and he loved you, he gave you kids. And in this culture, if you didn't have kids, then God must not love you or God must be upset with you. So yeah, the, the, the birth of this baby brings incredible joy. And if you'll notice, I haven't used the name of the baby because as yet, the baby remains unnamed. When he is eight days old, according to Jewish custom, he would be circumcised. We just should pause and just take a moment right there. <laughs> oh, I had two boys and I hated that day. And, and when he's circumcised, that's when he will be given his name. As for Dad, he doesn't have a whole lot to say. He kind of sits over in the corner and just waves a lot because he can't really speak. Zachariah has not talked since he's been told that his wife was going to have a child. And that is not a self-imposed silence. His vocal cords locked up. We have also a clue that maybe Zachariah doesn't hear very well. I'll point that out to you when we get to that passage. Um, This whole thing has a weirdness to it. It's kind of got a mystery about it. An older couple, a a speechless dad, a, a nameless baby. And it has not just been a strange week. It's been kind of a strange year don't really know what the day job was for Zachariah. It might have been a winemaker. He might have been a tent maker. Uh, maybe he was a herdsman. We're really not sure what he did, but we do know this. He was born into the family of Abijah. Abijah was a a, a priestly family. So, you know, I, I chose ministry at a certain age. You didn't. When you're Zachariah and you're born into the family of Abijah, you don't choose it. It chooses you. And so he grew up knowing that he would fulfill priestly duties in the temple and so sure enough as he becomes an adult a couple of times a year he goes off and he he does his duty in jerusalem at the temple and and it's really kind of a cool thing and so i'm showing you the temple there's a circled part there that's the temple area the rest of that is courtyard and it was built by herod the great it was built at great expense over several decades it had terraces and columns and colonnades and porches and now we're going to circle for you another part of the the temple area and that upper circled part that is known as the fortress of Antonia it's a roman fort it was named after mark anthony so here's what you need to understand if you go to the temple in the first century jerusalem to worship on one side is the temple reminding you of god's presence and god's goodness And then up on the other side is the Fortress of Antonia, and it reminds you how oppressed you are. It reminds you that you are living in Roman-occupied territory, and you do not have total freedom. So here's what is is going on. Roman taxes were imposed on you as a Jew, and, and you had to pay those, and they were a burden. It made it very difficult for you to survive as a family paying the Roman taxes that they put on people. And so if you go to worship in the temple at Jerusalem and you were in this space, that space between those two circles, that flat area there, that's the courtyard, that's where great numbers of people would gather. They would pray, they would talk together, they would prepare themselves for worship. On the one side is the Ark of the Covenant that reminds you that you have got promises made to you by God and it reminds you of the goodness of God. And then on the other side you look up and you can see Roman guards peeking over the the railing or peeking over the wall from Fortress Antonia down, looking on you, reminding you, we're watching you. Not only are we watching you, but we've got our hand in your pocket. The money you make is not your money. We're going to come get that through tax. And honestly, if you were to be one of the people of God in that day, it would have been really easy to have felt as though God had completely forgotten you. These were the people of promise in Genesis 12 we're told about Abraham and God God said to Abraham I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great And you will be a blessing and then in verse 3 of Genesis 12 It says and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you And if you're living in Jerusalem in the first century and there's fortress Antonia on the one side and, and you're waiting to you know, do your whole worship thing, in the middle of your worship space, you're thinking to yourself, as you see this fortress, when, God, when are you going to bless us? When are all the peoples on the earth going to be blessed through us? Because it doesn't ever look like that's going to happen. As long as that fortress is there, we are not even our own people. Centuries pass. And the time of Abraham gives way to the time of King David, who lived about a 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. And King David has been given the promise that someday there will be a king from his lineage that will be an everlasting king. We read this in 2 Samuel. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. And if you're there in the first century, standing between the temple and Fortress Antonia, you're wondering... When? I mean, are we fooling ourselves here? This promise was made such a long time ago. Are we really even sure that this thing is ever going to come to pass? I mean, is it just words? And then the prophets prophets join in, talking about the coming Messiah. There was Isaiah about 700 years before the time of Christ. Isaiah wrote, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then in verse 6 of chapter 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Words spoken 700 years before the time of Jesus. And if it's me, and I'm standing in the space between the Ark of the Covenant and the temple and the Holy of Holies in the holy place and then I look up and I see Fortress Antonia I'm wondering when God when is this gonna happen and to be real honest God just didn't seem to be in a very big hurry to answer that question Zechariah is with the rest of his group in the temple area and he wins the, the, the lottery system. They had a lottery to select who would get to, to go and, and uh, burn incense on the altar. He was one of a very few selected to be able to actually walk up into the holy place and light incense. He would have ascended the stairs, walked up to the hot coals, and dropped this incense powder on the coals. And the idea behind the whole lighting of incense is as the smoke raises, rises upward toward the heavens, so God's prayers rose up to the heavens and it was kind of like this this prayer concert kind of thing and there was some symbolism there these prayers that are being raised upward toward God the question is what were they praying no doubt some of them were praying that God would make good on the promises that he had made to them centuries before and you say, Brett, really? I mean, are they, are they even aware of the promises God made years, centuries before? I mean, wouldn't they have forgotten those promises if they were made centuries before? And the answer to that is no. They would not have forgotten. These promises that God had made, these people looked forward to these promises being fulfilled. They were talked about all the time. They never forgot them. Zechariah is not a young man he has lived years of disappointment because of infertility he has faithfully served god but he remains childless and being childless in that culture meant that you know i already said that they they kind of looked at you like you know something's wrong with you you must be sinful you must there's something you haven't done right because god would have given you kids otherwise and while Zechariah is in the holy place doing his priestly duty, offering this, these prayers and putting the incense on the altar, he is visited by an angel, and the angel says some really strange things to him. First, to him, first of all, you're going to have a son. That's not so strange, but it is for Zechariah because he's past childbearing days, and so is his wife. And, he, and then the angel says, you're going to name this son John. There will be no baby book, name book for for Zachariah and Elizabeth, right? Like we, when, when you're going to have your babies, you always get that baby name book and try and figure out the perfect name. And my thing was always, I'm just trying to pick, <clears throat> trying to pick a name that it wouldn't lead my kids into being teased, right? Like we can't name them that because they'll, they'll call them this. We can't name them that because we'll call them this. Then I figured out you can make fun of just about any name. So then you just pick one. Also, Zechariah is told someday soon the Messiah is coming and your son is going to be instrumental in ushering in the Messiah. He's going to, your son, Zechariah, is going to be a big deal. So all these prophecies we've been looking at, Genesis 3, where where God talks to Eve, and Genesis 12, where God talks to Abraham, 2 Samuel 7, where God speaks to David and gives him the prophecy. You know, the prophet Isaiah has something to say. It's all about to go down, but don't lose sight of this. Zechariah is old, and by the time his son John grows up, Zechariah probably will not be there to see what is being promised to him. Let me say that again, because it's easy to miss that. The promises that are being made to Zechariah, Zechariah probably will not live long enough to see. You might think that Zechariah would be really excited at being told that he's about to have a son, but that was not the case. Because when he's told, he says something to the effect of, what? We're going to have a what? God, do you know how old I am? Have you, have you seen Elizabeth? I mean, we're not really candidates to be having babies. And the result of Zachariah's response, God wasn't real pleased. And what happened was his vocal cords are just frozen, like he can't talk. Meanwhile, people are, people are outside the temple while Zachariah is inside having this conversation with this angel and he's being told all this stuff. And the people outside are, are, are praying, you know, and they know that zachariah has gone in to offer the incense. And there's a point where they start to say, hadn't he been in there a while? I mean, isn't it time for him to come out? It's, I mean, come on, man. Let's, let's, where's he, where did he go? What's going on? And when Zachariah comes out, he can't speak. All he can do is motion with his hands. But he serves out the remainder of his week. He, he, he dispatches all of his, his uh, priestly duties. And then he goes home, and there is a conception, and there's a pregnancy. And in verse 57, we read, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And Zachariah is over in the corner, he just kind of waves, because that's about all he can do. While Elizabeth is pregnant, there had been a a visit from a distant relative named Mary who is also pregnant, and she is not showing yet. And what you have here are two women, Elizabeth and Mary, and one of them is pregnant long after she is expected to be, and the other is pregnant before she's supposed to be. So for women, there's like a window where pregnancy is an acceptable good thing, And then there's a window, you know, that window closes as you get older. And that window's not supposed to open for a while, you know, when you're, and, and yet, so you have one woman that she's pregnant before she's supposed to be. The other is pregnant long after anybody would have expected her to be so. The eighth day comes, the day of circumcision, and it was a day for naming the baby. And the child's name would be, no. Zachariah. verse 59 on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father zachariah see you didn't just go naming kids willy-nilly back then right you just don't go throwing a name slapping a name on some kid like we do like name him after a rock star or, a, or a, a movie star or a basketball player or something like that there wasn't any consulting a baby name book Thank God they didn't name them after the way we do now. We've got, I think Gwyneth Paltrow named one of her kids Apple. And Michael Jackson named one of his kids Blanket. Can you imagine that? Apple the Baptist. <laughs> Blanket the Baptist. I mean, it just does not work. Instead, a child was named after its daddy or an uncle or a grandfather or great grandfather. And dad is over in the corner. He's not saying a word. So the people who are there, they kind of get involved. And they say, here you go, we'll name him, we'll, we'll call him Zachariah Jr. Which, think about it, that just does not have any punch to it at all, does it? Zachariah the Baptist. I mean, how bad does that sound? They're about to give this kid the name Zechariah, and then you look at verse 60. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they didn't get it, because nowhere in the family is there a John. Like, where are you getting the name John? You don't have anybody in your family named John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Now we do this in America sometimes, right? Like we'll name someone, one of our kids after a grandparent or something like that. We do that in our culture sometimes. My dad's name was Charles Edward Wilson. His dad's name was James Ben Wilson. My name has my father's name in it, Brett Charles Wilson. And my firstborn son, Bennett, has his dad's name. His grandfather's name and his great-grandfather's name, Bennett's name, is Bennett Charles Wilson. So we, you know, we, we covered them all when it came to Bennett. We got them all in there. And we do that once in a while. And in our culture, you know, it's a once-in-a-while thing. This was the norm for them. They did it all the time. The name you got was from somebody up the family tree somewhere. So they get ready to name this kid Zachariah Jr., and the mom is having none of that. And it says they came to Zachariah and... and this is it's here that you would get the impression that not only can zachariah not speak kind of think that Zechariah doesn't hear real well verse 62 then they made signs to his father why would they do that he, he can't speak it, you know it didn't say anything about him not being able to hear but the way this worded worded it sounds like he, he also might not be able to hear They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. So Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, which he'd probably done a lot uh, in those months. And they bring it to Zechariah, and he writes out, His name is John. Name this kid John. And in that moment, the vocal cords of Zechariah are unleashed. He's free to speak now, and he begins to talk. Verse 63, this is what we read. He, Zechariah, Asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. I've skipped to verse 65. And throughout the hill country of Judea, listen to this, people were talking about all these things. This was big stuff. To use our vernacular today, the story went viral. The the next village overheard about this story. They heard about this kid. Oh, yeah, that kid that was born to that couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're pretty old, aren't they? I mean, something's going on over there. Verse 66, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So everybody knows something special about this kid. Who is this kid? Everybody can sense it. About 30 years later, before Jesus shows up and begins to teach, a prophet named John shows up at the Jordan River, and he begins calling people to change the way they live their life. The word that, that comes up is a word that you don't hear us use a lot around here. We're not necessarily opposed to the word. It's just we, we don't use that language much, but the word is repent. Now, we, we talk about repentance. We, I, I try to lead you to, to do repentance, but I just don't use that word a whole lot. But that's the word that John was using a lot. Repent simply means that you change your heart and you change your mind, and that change will bring about a change of behavior. So, like, if you're, and and that doesn't, that could be a spiritual thing. It can also just be a normal thing. Like, a a normal way might be if you're trying to lose weight and you have an affinity for crispy, hot Krispy Kreme donuts. You may have to change the way you think before you change the way you live, right? I was in Atlanta last week. I did have a hot Krispy Kreme donut. Just, just a, one, one dozen, one box. <laughs> just one. <laughs> no, it's like a Lay's potato chip. You can't eat one. That's just not right. That's, I'm not even sure you can be a Christian if you just eat one Krispy Kreme donut. <clears throat> So John calls people to repentance. You know, get your heart right, get your mind right, because it's coming. The kingdom that God has promised, it's coming. He's been t- we've been talking about this for centuries. It's on the way. And in Luke chapter 3, we see that John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Then you look at verse 14, then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Apparently the Roman soldiers, they weren't real thrilled with what they were being paid. And then get this, there's there's instruction for tax collectors. Jewish people who were hired to to raise Roman taxes, they asked John, "What what, you know, what do you want us to do? And, and John said, don't collect any more than you're required to. You know, stop stealing money from people. And as people stood by the river and they listened to John, they said, I used to believe that, that, you know, I used to lead a certain kind of life, but I don't want to lead that kind of life anymore. They didn't really, you know, they heard John use this word repent. So, you know, I, okay, I want to repent. I want to change my, my mind and my, the way I believe, and I want it to change the way I live my life. And they would go down into the Jordan River, and they would be baptized. And the idea was that as the water washed over them, it represented, you know, the cleanness of life that they wanted to lead, and, and, uh, you know, they were stepping into a a new way, and the old was being washed away. Kind of some of the same things we talk about in baptism, although our our modern-day baptism carries a beautiful word picture with it. But they were stepping into something new. And because it was John who was doing this, he became known as John the Baptist. Now, when I was a youth pastor, I used to work at church camps, and I remember I had a kid one time who went to a Baptist church. He was really proud of the fact he went to a Baptist church, and he was making his case about how great the Baptist denomination was, which I was casting no aspersions on the, the Baptist denomination. I love those people. They're fine. But he was telling me how much superior they were to everybody else. He said, you know they're the only denomination listed in the Bible I said, really? He said, yeah, John the Baptist. And it was at that point that I was really wishing that this guy's name was John the Presbyterian or something, you know? I mean, it was just like, there, take that. And John starts to blow up, and he's enjoying quite a following, and people are starting to ask, you know, John, tell us, are you the one, are you the one that's been promised? And John says, oh, no, no, I'm not the one. I, I've, I'm the one who's come to prepare the way. For the one, I, I am not the one. He was very clear. Now, I don't do this a lot, but I think it would be really good for us this morning to just say that phrase on three, I'm not the one. You ready? One, two, three. I am not the one. You want to hang on to that phrase. There was a day coming when John would be with his disciples and he would see Jesus and he would say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the crowds of Jesus start to grow and the crowds of John begin to shrink. And John's followers come up to John and they're a little ticked off. And they say, look, everybody's leaving us and they're going to follow this Jesus guy. You know, what are we going to do about that? And John replied, I must decrease, he must increase. John got it. John, John knew what was going on. I've done my job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of, you know, walk away now and fade away. So say it with me on three, I am not the one. One, two, three, I am not the one. Can I just suggest to you that when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, that's a phrase you might whisper to yourself. I am not the one. I am not the one. John the Baptist will die before Jesus does. 20 years after the death of John the Baptist on the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey, he travels from Jerusalem to the city of Ephesus, which is, if, if you were to wonder where that is in modern day, it's, it's western Turkey. It's pretty close to Izmir. We have some friends in Izmir. And I, I looked this up. If you were to drive that route, it's, it's over 1,000 miles. It's actually over 1,100 miles. And, and so Paul makes this journey. And in Acts chapter 19, it says that while he was there in in Ephesus, he saw some of the disciples that that had been made, and and he asked them, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we didn't know that the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. And he said, well, whose baptism did you receive? And they said, we received John's baptism. We received John's baptism. This is 20 years after John the Baptist lived. So, So think with me for a minute 20 years and a 1,000 miles later, 20 years later and 1,000 miles away, Paul finds people who are devoted to the teachings of John the Baptist. You're looking at me like, is that significant? Yes, that's significant. Think about this. In an age where there was not an automobile and in an age where there is not an airplane, This man that we think just walked around eating locusts and honey, dressing kind of strange, yelling repent a lot. We think that he had just this isolated ministry there by the Jordan River, but he had influenced people a thousand miles away 20 years later. John the Baptist is a big deal. And then in Acts 19, you hear Paul say, no, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus that they would become disciples of Christ. And so... People in neighboring villages would hear about this birth of this man that would grow up to be John the Baptist, this older couple's having this baby. and they heard about how they didn't really name him after the father. That was kind of strange and how Zachariah had been an- unable to speak, and then he got his voice back, and, and people are wondering, who is this kid going to be? And of course, we know the answer to that question. He was going to be the one that would come to announce the coming of the Lord. I mean, it's a big deal. And then Zechariah says something, and, and what we're about to read is poetic. His son is born, he hasn't spoken for months, and you just wonder how much of this just got pent up in him, but listen to the beauty of what he says. Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. This song or prayer that he's, he's singing has, has a, it, it, it has a name because of the first words of it. If you were to read that in Latin, praise be to the Lord. That's known as the Benedictus. Last week we learned about Magnificat. My, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is the Benedictus. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us the oath he swore to our father abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days this is the first half of this prayer or this song and it isn't about his kid it's about the other kid this isn't about the arrival of his son which was miraculous enough. This is about the arrival of Mary's son that are going to happen some months later. When Zachariah's vocal cords are finally freed, his first words are not for his child, his first words are about Jesus. His first words are about the coming Messiah and that God was going to come to rescue his people through that baby, through the promised Messiah. God was going to restore and God was going to redeem. That first section of the prayer song wasn't about his kid, it was about Jesus, but then he starts to sing about his eight-day-old son, listen to this, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of, listen to this, salvation through the forgiveness." of their sins you know what saves you and saves me it's not that we do good it's not that we live well it's not that we perform well performance does not save you forgiveness saves you and that's what Zechariah says salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace he sings to his son and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high Can you imagine that's what your son is going to be and it's a day that Zechariah will never see you know it's easy to read what we've looked at for the past couple of sundays and to just blow past it and to miss the drama and to miss the depth of the story You know, you got a childless couple, you have a speechless dad, you have a a, a nameless child. And so whatever you felt as we've read this, whatever impressions you've been left with when it says as it closes out in this chapter, and the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Whatever emotions you may have or impressions you may have gotten, I'd like to add three very briefly before we close. Number one is mercy. This is a mercy story. Elizabeth has this baby, relatives come, neighbors are there, and it's said that the relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy. And Zachariah speaks and he says, the Lord has shown mercy to our forefathers. And then he holds his son and he sings to him and he says, because of the tender mercy of our God. Mercy, mercy, mercy. This is a mercy story. My job brings me in contact with a lot of people who are hurting. I get the opportunity to spend some really joyous times, occasions with people. We get to rejoice about great things going on in lives, but I also have those times where I sit across the table from someone who is going through a really hard thing and through tears. They tell me their story, and I sit there and I want so desperately to help, and I'm I'm geared to help, I'm oriented to help but I can't help, and all I've got are prayers, and all I can do is look at somebody and say, look, I'm, I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you, and I'm, I'm here to do whatever I can, but there's really nothing I can do. You know, people that are having rocky marriages or people that things, their job's not going well or they got trouble with their kids or something in the family or something at home, and, and I talk to people in situations that just feel hopeless, and as a pastor. The direction of my prayers and the desire of my heart is that they might experience the mercy of God in a hundred unexpected ways. That's, that's really kind of where my prayers go, is God bless them. Just bless them. Because God's mercy comes at unexpected times and on unsuspecting people. May you experience the goodness of God in dozens of unexpected ways. In 2018. Listen to me. Believing that God will be good to you is crucial when you are trying to navigate a crisis. Okay, you got to believe it. You've got to believe in the goodness of God as you go through a crisis. You've got to believe it. It's crucial. Believing deeply that you have been forgotten and that God will appear nowhere in your life when you go through a crisis is also crucial. It can be the deciding factor as to how the decisions you make, how faithful you are as you go through the process. If you believe God is going to bless you, you will respond one way. If you believe God has forsaken you, you will respond another. How does someone going through a crisis maintain a level of faithfulness and gratitude and servanthood and optimism They do that through believing that God is good and he's going to bless. This is a mercy story. And whatever you find yourself going through today, are you able to maintain the faith that God will be merciful down the line? You say, Brett, you have no idea what I'm going through and you have no idea how long I've been dealing with this. No, I don't. But I know this. I know that your belief that God is going to bless you has a great deal to do with how well you're going to be able to navigate those waters. Impression number two is speed. In Zechariah's prayer, he worships God for being faithful to promises that are made to Abraham at the beginning of the Bible, okay? He's he's going, reaching way back centuries and counting and thanking God for blessings and promises that were made centuries before. God does not seem to be in a hurry, and he seems to work across multiple generations. Zechariah worships a God who made promises to David a thousand years before he lived. This comes as horrible news to those of us who are in a hurry. Those of us who pray, come on God, I've been praying about this since 8.30 this morning, it's 4.30 in the afternoon, change her. Right? Where are you? Show up, come on, wake up, let's go. I've been praying all day. Speed. Zechariah worships God for words said to Isaiah 700 years before. Zechariah understands that God is working over multiple generations. He understands that God is honoring promises in his life and in the life of John the Baptist, promises that were made hundreds of years before. And for those of us in the 21st century with microwaves and cell phones, this is not good news. You're at a stoplight light turns green your internal clock goes off 1001 1002 1003 the person in front of you has not noticed that the light has turned green and it takes you all of two and a half seconds for your body temperature to start going up and you can feel it rise in you right like how dare you waste seven seconds of my life 1004 1005 they're tapping away on their cell phone you are furious the only question at this point is the duration of the honk, right? <laughs> That's really, is it going to be a polite, hey, let's move along now, okay, up from our cell phones, let's, let's take care of business, or is it going to be, you have the audacity to steal time away from my precious schedule? Honk! We want everything to happen now. And yet God doesn't seem to be in a hurry and is more content to work over generations. I've written a ton of letters in my day. Trust me, I'm a letter writer from way back. I've stuck a lot of stamps on a lot of letters. I've licked a lot of envelopes. Um, I save letters. I've got, I I just would, would, you would be shocked at what I've got in my possession. I've done a lot of letter writing, but I venture to say, that just about every one of you in the time that I've started preaching this morning have received an email on your phone, and the odds are pretty good that some of you have read them. Right? I know, it's okay. We're all friends here. My name's Brett, I'm your friend. Speed, not just technology. And it has spoiled us, and it has worked against our understanding of a God who seems more than happy to work across generations. We don't like that. God is not in a hurry. He is definitely not in the hurry that you and I are, and I have a very big suspicion that it will be us that needs to adjust, not him. When I was a newborn, the story is told that I was brought to my grandmother, my dad's mother, uh, Mama Louise Wilson, and uh, she was a woman of faith and was... And anxiously awaiting my arrival and she was on her deathbed she was just hanging on and so they brought me as an inf- a, a, a newborn and they put me in her arms and uh, I, apparently my mom and my grandmother had had some discussions about my grandmother's hopes that I would go into ministry I'm pretty sure I'm telling that story right and the story is as my mom relates it to me they brought me to my grandmother dying on her deathbed she they put me on her chest, she cradled me to her chest and mom said that, that uh, Mamaw Louise closed her eyes and she only, can only assume that she was praying. And the odds are probably pretty good that my grandmother was praying something to the effect that I would go into ministry. Apparently that was a thing for my grandmother. She wanted me to go into ministry. She was praying a prayer, she was praying for a blessing that she would never see. She would never see it. What if God decides to answer my prayers for my kids long after I'm gone? I have prayed for my kids. God, do incredible things through my children. Make them instruments in your hand. Do amazing, marvelous things. I pray that my kids will be a blessing to your kingdom. That may happen after I'm gone. God's plan is long and comprehensive, and he is not in a hurry. Speed. The third impression is this, and we'll go home. The third impression is growth. Zachariah starts out not understanding any of this. We're going to have a what? God, we're having a baby? Have you seen Elizabeth? Do you know how old I am? He goes from that to a man who knows this child is supposed to be named John, and, and he totally gets it at the end. As an old dude, he is still growing. I love that. How about you? Are you still growing? The older I get, the less I know. <laughs> you know, the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. There's an age where you think you know everything, and then you get older and you realize you don't know nothing. I, I've learned so much in, in just the last several months. Let me ask you this Have you ever come to church and found out? what the text was going to be or what i was going to preach on and you thought to yourself oh i've heard this story i'm not going to learn anything today i'm going to check my email right you ever you ever done they ever looked at the text and thought oh i know that it's john three sixteen. he's not going to teach me anything about john three sixteen today i know everything about john 3 16. really so there's nothing new that you can be taught I'm 55 years old, and I believe that some of my greatest spiritual breakthroughs are in my future, not in my past. I really believe that. I believe God, some of the greatest things God has yet to show me are in my future, not in my past. What if your greatest spiritual breakthroughs are in your future, not your past? And if you're 80 years old and you're in here today, I'm talking to you too. Don't stop growing. Approach this week. As we come into this time where we celebrate the birth of our, our Lord and Savior, don't come into this week thinking to yourself, I know how this story goes. You know, the shepherd's on the field, the flock's by night, you know, angel, bright light, baby, manger. I got this. I know this. I've heard this story a hundred times. going to teach me anything new. Don't do that. Come into this season with your heart and your mind open saying, God, teach me something new. Show me this from a new perspective. Change my life through this story that I've heard a thousand times. May your best season of growth be in your future and not in your past. May God's mercy meet you in a hundred unexpected ways. And may you have the faith to believe that he is good and that he will show you his goodness. And may you know that he is faithful and good even when you're not seeing it let's pray father we a bunch of us in here we've been christians a long time and we we're kind of long in the tooth when it comes to this whole spiritual thing and it's real easy for us to think that you're not going to teach us anything new father i pray that we would get over that and as we come into this season where we celebrate the birth of jesus i pray that our hearts would be changed so that our lives will be changed and, Father, for the person maybe that has never really considered all this and they don't know what they believe and, and you know, Jesus and Messiah and, you know, forgiveness. And, Lord, I pray that you would, you would meet them where they are. And that you would, you would help them to understand that Jesus is for them, too. As messed up as they are as jacked up as their life is, as far away from you as they feel, I pray that they would come to a knowledge that there's room for them at this table. That you love them, that you've gone to great lengths, you've spared nothing, you've sent your son so that we would know forgiveness through the Savior Jesus. So Father, we just lift up your name and we praise and honor you because of what you've done and we give you thanks for this baby who would grow up and be our savior. And it is in his name we pray, amen.